Hi, this is Matt Earl from Talking in Stations. The following is a recording that's unusual for us. It's not a show and it's not an after show. Uh, this was something that came together on its own, and am I glad it did. On January 21st, we had a show with guest Pro God Legend, who's an FC, a fleet commander, from Test Alliance. He's a pretty seasoned commander. And he was talking about how he was disappointed in the war that he had just finished in the Catch region. This is the war where Test and Circle of Two attacked Stain, and where the Imperium led by Goonswarm came to Stain's aid. He used naval battles in real life to make the points that he wanted to make about Nullsec and how the meta of warfare was changing in a way that he didn't like, in that the battles would erupt and happen in a couple fights and then the whole war would basically be over. He thought this was the wrong direction for EVE Online. If you want to catch that segment of the show, it's the last 30 minutes of January 21st show. Well, an editor at Imperium News, Arendus, who's also in Goonswarm, and a very seasoned player himself, wrote a long and detailed rebuttal of the arguments that ProGod had put forth on the show. That article was called The Illusion of the Decisive Battle and can be found on Imperium.news. Arendus also knows about naval combat and history and decided to take the same battles, show where Progod had gone wrong, and came to different conclusions altogether. Unfortunately, the tone of the article was a little bit hard on Progod. And so when Progod read this, he was pretty upset, thinking, no, Arendus is wrong, and I am a veteran of EVE, and I do know what I'm talking about. Progod and I got into a conversation, and we requested that Arendus join us. And this made for a conversation that was actually very interesting, and I recorded the whole thing. So here's the recording in its entirety of two guys who are veterans of Nullsec. One is a fleet commander, and the other is a valued member of Goonswarm in reconnaissance and logistics. You'll see that Progod gives ground on his naval comparisons. However, Progod maintains that the lessons were accurate and true, and spells out a number of positions and examples on why and when you run a campaign. So here's Progod and Arendus talking about naval battles, EVE Online, the truth about Tribute Campaign as well as Catch Campaign, and all-around Nullsec Warfare. This recording runs nearly two hours and is really worth every minute. Okay, I'm back. Alright, I think he's going to jump in. You guys can talk it out. You're both uh, military intellectuals. No, only one of us is. <laughs> well... Depending on who you ask, you'll get a different answer, but you're probably right. Oh, cool. I'll be here in a sec. It'll be interesting to be a fly on the wall for this conversation, but I'll probably... <clears throat> let, let you guys discuss it, because it'll be really interesting to hear this uh, from my perspective. I mean, I'm just going to talk briefly. I don't, I don't. If we're going to have a long discussion, you better record it. Noted. What's up? Hi. Arendus. Meet Pro God yeah. Legend. Pro God Legend, meet Arendus. Yeah. I'm not mad or anything. I don't know what Matterall uh, prepped you for. Uh, World War Three. Oh, no. <laughs> the only thing I'm slightly frustrated about is I love having my extemporaneous off-the-cuff speech transcribed into text word for word. He's being with all With all the you knows in there as well. <laughs> 
yeah, well, uh, that was one of those things where we've had we've had issues in the past where we've cleaned stuff like that up and then gotten yelled at because people didn't like us editing what they said. That's fair. That's very fair. What so I, I tend to play a little cautious there. Well, so, yeah, uh, ProGod, you appeared on the show and uh, you took a... Are you recording this? Yeah, I'm recording this. You took a half oh, hour. okay, fine. Let's go for it. Yeah, you took a half I still hour. haven't read this entire article. I'm bouncing around. It's really long. Yeah, I know. Um, Progod appeared on the show and uh, took a half hour to kind of analyze catch and made some interesting points uh, about you know how it was kind of Nullsec was kind of broken and uh, Arendis uh, disagreed, I think, and wrote up. Uh, oh, Nullsec totally broken. I'll give you well, that. Okay, and but you disagreed, and what? ProGuard was describing, so you wrote a big long article on naval history, uh, and it looks like it did very well, got a good response, uh, disagreeing with the way it was characterized by ProGuard, and so that's what brings us here. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment of it. But Pro God, I don't know, but Pro I God see is, a lot of comments in my favor. But. Yeah, ProGuard was there uh, in tribute, and I think, in that is that the part you're taking issue with, because you haven't read the whole article? Well, I, I mean, I take issue with pretty much every single point in this article, but they're, the Eve points are the ones I care about. I'd rather not get in a discussion about our opinions on World War II naval history. Yeah. Well, it's more than just World War II naval history. I mean, when, for example, you called Jutland a decisive battle, and it wasn't. World War II, World War I naval history. I mean, it, it, it by no measure was it a decisive battle. Neither side decisively won. It did not impact the direction of the war whatsoever. Okay, did Germany uh, try to engage in any major naval conflicts after Jutland? Did Germany try to engage in any major naval conflicts before Jutland? No, they were trying to get the upper hand in that one. They were, they were trying to tr they were trying to trap small elements of the British Grand Fleet. After yeah, Jutland, destroy they parts they of it so they could that. probably so they could get right. battleship parity with them. Yeah, I read about no, it. No, it wasn't it wasn't battleship parity. This it is why I don't want to get in a discussion about fucking World War One naval history right. when we're trying to All talk right. Eve. We're trying to talk Eve. I'm just saying, you know, the, the 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 essence of what I disagreed with was in part that stuff. Okay, I, I was trying to use a metaphor on a radio show I, to make I, point. I understand that, and I thought. Uh, and, and I put this right in the article. Other than the fact that it was wrong, I thought it was a beautiful metaphor. I thought it was an awesome metaphor. I right. just, it was wrong. Yeah. But but the tribute war. All right, so you were picking on a, a detail that it... Yeah, before he jumped in, I was jumping all over the tribute war for shit. Oh, all right. Are you going back and reading the other stuff now? I'm. Well, yeah, so I, I skipped past... After I got into some of the history thing, I skipped past to meet the meta... Uh, skip through all of the midway shit. Um, still more midway, more midway. IJN, more midway. Um, okay, what's that mean for you? Yeah, I read, I read into that until I read the stain wagon lives in stain thing. Then I started skipping again. Um, yeah, 250 man carrier fleets, 250 man battleship foot. People throw away battleship fleets all the time, my man. Trust me on that. No, 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 no. See, people people throw away battleship people throw away battleship fleets all the time. People don't consistently throw away battleship fleets with no hope for victory. 
Right. But um, people keep fighting after they lose battleship fleets. Sure. People keep fighting after they lose carrier fleets now, too. That's the whole point of carrier When has now. that happened? Not when has that happened. You're talking about going forward. That's what carriers are the new battleship means. That losing a carrier fleet, if you're going to lose a carrier fleet, you were going to lose that You know where I got no that what. quote from, right? Probably Mittens. Yeah, and I was refuting it. Carriers are not going to be the new battleships. I, I mean, people, and, and there's there's tactical reasons that kind of play into this. But unlike subcap fleets, which are mobile and can disengage, and there's a lot more, um, what's the word? There's just a lot more opportunity to fight from a disadvantaged position. Capitals are, are, are never going to be that. They're, they're too immobile. You, you can't just, I, I can't just take a 250-man carrier fleet up against PL and be like, all right, let me try some shit, and if I don't win, I could disengage. That's never going to happen. If I take that 250-man carrier fleet on the field against PL and NC Dot, I'm either there to win or lose all of it. And people in EVE are very risk-averse. That's a very minor point on the side, but, I mean, that is, that is the no, core I concept of the new capital meta versus the old subcap meta. They're, I they're... don't actually disagree with that assessment if people are unwilling to throw away capital fleets when they think they have a path to victory. If they if they think they've got a shot at winning the fight, they'll commit the they'll commit the carriers same as they would have committed the battleship. All right. So what causes someone to think they have a shot at winning a capital fight, Arendis? At winning a capital fight? There's yeah, probably, yeah. There's got to be there's got to be a dozen different variables there. You've got to deal with who's who else can show up, what they can escalate with, what you can escalate with, how much subcap support you can give in terms of e war and other logistical capabilities. But that's uh -huh. also uh -huh. still at play in a battleship fleet. Well, what do you think? Uh, what do you think of that question you asked your asked Arendis, Pro God? Like, what well, would be your answer? My answer, um, I mean, generally the way fleet commanders approach this is they look at everything that the enemy has got formed up and look at what they got formed up. They do a little bit of number crunching and they go like, shit, I don't think we can win this. And then they stand down. I would say that starts before any, any, either side forms up. Uh, I don't know. How many fucking big giant fights have you done? As an FC or as a... As an FC, as as an FC or as a recon logistics anchor and like, director, uh, you're in charge of making the call to go in or not. I haven't done any because I don't FC. I don't FC because I don't want to FC. I don't like FC. Why not? Because it's boring. And flying in fleets, not making calls, is is not boring. I'm not saying I'm not making calls. I'm not making the calls on who I'm calling this primary at that moment. That's not that, that I have no interest in that. But as far as, as far as. Right. But you fly in fleets all the time, don't you? As a, as a, as a line grunt. No. Okay. So just eat PVP in general is boring. No, I didn't say that at all. Well, I mean, what are you getting at, though, Pro God? That um, I'm okay. okay just so, just as a, the same as, as a, the same strategic pressures. No, no, no. I'm just saying there's a, there's a you know this is one of those things to where you kind of have to you kind of have to understand 
what goes into making these calls and what goes into how to set these fights up to really understand, you know, the nuances around it. Right. I, I mean, and just most of, of these large fights, you don't really know what's going to show up until you start forming. Just as a bit of context. Okay. I know Matt all told you that I do logistics. Okay. Um, I'm like importing ships. No, like I'm a consistent logistics anchor for the Imperium. I have been since before the fountain war. Um, I, so am, you do flying fleet. Uh, yes. I just don't do it as a, as a line member, as a, as a regular grunt. Um, I am a member of Imperium recon. You know, the guys who go out there and find out what people are forming yeah, before they form. I know. Um, and I'm a fitting director. So I'm part of the big dis discussions on what's out there, what can we do with it. So I'm not, I'm not an FC, but that doesn't mean that I'm arguing this from a position of I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm not saying you don't know what the fuck's going on. I know, on. but I'm but, saying and, 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 you, and, told, and, you and, called me. You said I don't know what the fuck's going on. No, I didn't. Say, I didn't say you don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I said you uh, got it wrong. Yeah. There's well, a difference. Oh, no, no, no. There, there's no difference in. Um, he presented himself, perhaps unintentionally, as an authority. That kind of implies that I'm not an authority in any capacity. No, because, again, you're missing the thrust of the article. You the way you presented yourself was an authority not just on FCing and Eve, okay, but on things like, was Jutland a decisive battle? Okay, yeah. I mean, I, I maybe I'm – although I'm, I would love to have that discussion later. Maybe my World War II and World War I history and – assessment of those battles was off um, and that's and that's what i was referring to when i said you presented yourself as an authority you presented yourself as an authority on what constitutes the differences between land well, warfare that, and naval that, warfare. that sentence is right after you go through and make all these claims on the catch war and the tribute war that i'm just going to come out and say are, are completely wrong well before you go into that you would say that he that pro god is an authority on tribute war and fcing in general I would say that Pro God is probably one of the most knowledgeable FCs in Eve at this point. And I'm not contending. So that's not what I was fishing for, by the way. I, I, I'm not saying I, you were fishing for anything. I'm just saying that you know yeah. Matterall's asked me a question as a baseline. I, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna come out and say it right here, dude. You're not V, but who the fuck is? Well, I, I appreciate the compliment, but no, that my I I was getting the idea no. from your whole. Um, well, I mean, I'm. Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, seriously, like, th there's, there, as far as I know, at this point in the game, there are no perfect FCs left. So you are definitely one of the most knowledgeable, most experienced ones in the game, though. And, and that's not, you know, let me butter you up. That's just acknowledging you've been there, you've done not, this. That's not in the article, Orendus. Maybe you should have put that in the article. No, no, no. I don't but want it wasn't, to. But, no, but hold it. But the article, no, no, no. the article wasn't. This for me. I'm asking him. No, but the article, the article wasn't about his FCing experience. It was about the analogy. Uh, but it, you could have put a gracious comment in there. Well, no, 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 no. I don't think you need it. I, I'm more concerned with, like, how did I get my assessment of the tribute war wrong? Okay, let's go to that. And, because and, you, you, you presented the tribute war as they needed to do all this stuff to go for the Keepstar. They didn't go for the Keepstar. They could have gone for the Keepstar straight away. They could okay, have bounced the how? Supers. How did they, they do that? Okay. The entire time, even before the tribute war started, while they were still evicting us, okay, PL supers were in range of MTACO, 
MTACO was not Sinojammed at any point in that because CO2 was bringing their shit in and out of, of MTACO as well. They hadn't decided to go for CO2 yet. No, no, I, I mean, after when, once the tribute war started, they could have come in at any when, time there the by simply war moving. started when NC Dot moved to KQK. There was no tribute war before that. And and at any time, if they'd wanted to go for the Keepstar, all they had to do was take their supers and move them to the same low sec staging just outside of MTACO that PL had been using. Right. Okay. So that's, yeah. So and you're, the facilities you're were there. Hold on. You're contending that they could have moved their entire super fleets to low sec right outside MTECO. I asked Vince that same question, by the way, when the war started, why they didn't do it. His logic made sense, but I won't share conversations between me and Vince. Um, yeah. But that's so interesting. It, yeah. No, my that was my same question. Why didn't y'all tech from the south instead of the north? And he, it made sense. But um, regardless, I didn't need to ask Vince that to know that um just because they can move their supers to low sec uh doesn't mean they can get into mtecho so here's a question you reinforce the uh let's say you move all your shit to tazy right and then co2 turns on all the sino jammers in mtecho now what well first off you can take out the sino jammer mtecho okay you could potentially just have potentially. CO2 take it down <laughs> All right, so they form just, up. Just use, they form use, up, use and we small, form up. Use a small fleet like an SH one to convince the to convince Gage to take it down himself. <laughs> well, all right, no, seriously though. So, so they're going to bring down the jammer on, let's say Saturday. They have an ops called at eighteen hundred, and we know they have ops called at eighteen hundred. So we counterform at eighteen hundred. We all form up. We get an Mteco. They're in Tazy. Sign a jammer's online. Then what? Well, first off, they're not just going to come in from Tazy. Okay, where do they go? We sino jammed every system in tribute. Did you know that? Right, sino jammed every system, every system in tribute. That doesn't mean they're not going to be able to bring subcaps in. That doesn't mean they're not going to be able to bring horde in. That doesn't mean MC's not going to come in because uh, Gigax pissed them off too. Well, this is, i mean, you, you, they did. MC didn't come in this time. Remember, you moved to Tazy. The only reason MC came in is because you know their space, which they owned over there, was getting used to bypass our sino jammers. And it mattered when they were hitting the AWS constellation. Said, from what MC has said, they came in because Gigix hit that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. I know that. Their space was being used to bypass a, oh, Hold on. I'm getting called one second. Wrong number. Okay. So MC space. Uh, all right. MC space was being used to bypass the Sino Jammers. And Gigex hit a couple towers there. He probably shouldn't have. But. The point was that they didn't come in until like three weeks into the war. And if if you're hitting us from Tazy, so if you move to Tazy with the entire goal of hitting the MO Keepstar, mm -hmm. why is there any purpose to hit MC space? That's a fair point. And okay, so we take MC out of the equation. That still right. doesn't mean you can't bring subcaps in the other direction. Oh, you can't mind, bring PL's in. not in this either because they're still in Venal. And PL couldn't be convinced to move down to Tazy. So you're 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 minus PL too. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're without darkness or without horde. Okay, so darkness is coming down with subcap fleets. Horde's coming down from subcap fleets. They're coming down through the UMI pipe all the way to Eteco, jumping in through that gate. While NC dots formed in Tazy, jumping through that gate. All right, so you're coming through gates. Keep in mind the EO gate is a small non-regional gate, right. which means you it's got easy to bubble. 
Well, no, I'm not worried about bubbling. If I'm jumping into a Sinojam system, I'm worried about getting bosoned. Which, by the, uh, you know, the bosun, the A the AOE DD on the, the Titan. So the problem with jumping in through the EO gate, which Vince knows this, and the NC.FCs knew this before they decided to move to KQK, is that if EO is sinojammed and 15W is sinojammed, then if you jump in through the EO gate with your subcap fleets and we put Titans there, no one can get there unless they go all the way around or they come through the MO gate in Tazy, which the rest of our fleets are on. So you really can't get subcaps in from ETECO to MTECO. The only way you'd do it is you'd have to drop the jammer in ETECO, but then that's not a big gate either. We'll just move the Titans one gate up. And now, just to get stuff reinforced, you're having to do all this shit, and that's assuming that you can get the Keepstar into reinforce, which, by the way, no one really knew how to fight a Keepstar at the time. They were still developing the tactics they were going to use in the Keep Store before they Keep Star before they even started the tribute war. So let's assume you get that Keep Star in RF and you move a good portion of your supers into system, assuming you want to do that. I'm not sure they want to do that because most of the PL and NC.FCs are not big fans of staging their capitals in a system where they don't control the iHub. We could just put another Sino Jammer online, and they can't log them off on the Sino Jammer because there's a ton of moons in there, and then we can move it. So you get the keep star in RF, and if you don't log your supers and titans off in system, then you got to get back into the system just to get the thing, uh, just to come for the timer, which Sino Jammer will be online again. And, and sure, keep, but but keep in mind uh, this isn't this isn't saying that you can't hit. At no point are you saying here that you can't hit the Keepstar. I am. I'm saying it'd be really stupid. You're saying it'd be really stupid, but you're not saying you can't do it. Well, yeah, technically you could, possibly, if you really wanted to try and were really okay with possibly losing the entire war and being embarrassed, which I don't think NC. and PL are in the business of being, um, then, yeah, they could have tried it. I don't think it would have gone well. For they them. could have also brought I mean, in... look how much trouble they had breaking the Sino Jammers in the UMI constellation. Sure, but they could have also brought in subcaps through Tazy. Uh, yeah, they would have gotten fucking murdered. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. Just saying they could have. <laughs> which means that which means that you can't you can't necessarily assume Etega. I mean I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a terribly dangerous assumption. I'm just saying that you can't it's not it's not hundred percent. No, I mean so they the Let's assume they try to bring subcats in through Tazy at the same time, which, by the way, once again, bosun's coming in all over the place. Um, and it's you, a little tougher there as a regional gate, though. It's a regional gate, but, I mean, CO2 and Test had enough Titans to cover it. And you can't really uh, – and that causes a problem for bringing – let's say you want to bring your cap fleet in, which I, I – really skeptical to say this because I don't think you guys have figured this out yet but like you, you can't bring a cat fleet through a sino jam system either because all your faxes are going to get bosoned it, it's, it's there's a yeah, reason that yeah there's a, there's a reason that I'm saying the sino jammer is the only thing keeping the new sovereignty system from being a decisive battle headshot meta So, like, I mean, I, I think your assessment of the tribute war is way off. I think you've got a lot of your facts in there wrong, too. 
it was two months. Um, NC dot and PL did help out for the first what, week of what timers. Do you mean two months. Let's let's just set that one up. Okay, so NC dot deployed to KQK, and then they killed the Keepstar about two months later. A little, a little more than that, I think. Except they were already fighting in August. Fighting? What do you mean already fighting? I was they were there. Fighting. Okay. The like, SH one capital fight. The SH one capital fight. I, I get it's tough for goons to realize this, but those are just random fights. Like, and there's no like continuous war thing for a lot of alliances. There's just random fights that happen. Those were not part of a campaign. Yeah. Really, because it certainly it certainly looked like it from the outside. Well, it that's just great. It, 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 just, like it, that just, it just looked like NC Dot hadn't actually announced their intention. But there was definitely a consistent pressure being applied there. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, this is how it looks for everyone else in EVE. Um, GigX said some shit. NC Dot and PL decided to hit a CSA to draw a fight out. And they got the fight. I mean, that's how this stuff works. I mean, what do you think's going on right now in Pureblind? You think PL is uh, doing a concerted campaign to knock out Brave? No, I think they're farming Brave at this point. Okay, so what's the difference? The difference is that I think that NC and PL were very well aware that Gigas would never have been satisfied with half of Tribute. Half of Tribute? What? Gigax didn't want him. Gigax had all the space he needed. And besides, who else owned Tribute? I, I mean, Shadow Cartel had a Constellation. Um, MC had parts of it. MC had parts of it, which before Gigax did his thing was totally fine. And uh, what was the other well, line? Gigs, gigs, it gigs was, uh, has oh, a few years trying to get the rest of Tribute. So to just say that he suddenly said, you know what, I don't need it. That, that's kind of... But more importantly, why does PL and NC not care about Shadow Cartel and OSS? They don't necessarily care about Shadow Cartel and OSS, but Gigs is never going to be satisfied. Okay. So... Like, I, I still don't like. So you're saying because Gig X was never going to be satisfied and Killa B and Ron Mexico being the uh, geopolitical strategic minds that they are <laughs> were um, thinking so far in advance that they were like, we need to start a slow burn war where this comes from a very, you know, no, skirmishy no, point all the way up to us killing the MO Keepstar. I'm not I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that knowing that Gigix would never be satisfied means that you've got somebody there who's going to destabilize things no matter what you do. I so why not think, take advantage of it? I think a much more reasonable assessment would be that PL and NC Dot loving capital kills see know that Gigex loves to go balls to the wall and decided to try and draw out a cap fight over a Titan and build. I think that's much more reasonable. And then after SH1 once they saw that GigX is actually willing to, you know, go in with his shit, they're like, well, I think we just found what we're going to do for the next three months. Okay, and now you've still got three months of fighting going Except on. Except they didn't start for a month. So there was no fighting after SH1 for a while outside of roaming. There, there wasn't. In fact, that was like after SH1, Test went down to Delve. You remember that? No. Didn't work out very well. Yeah, I, I don't remember that at all. Okay, Tess went down to Dell for a month. There was uh, a whole I don't month of fighting. The carrier fleet getting stuck in a dead end system. Uh -huh. Yeah. 
little smug about that still. No, I'm mostly just being sarcastic about the I don't I remember that. I know I, I picked up on that. <laughs> well, the point was the I know I know we're discussing or the 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 length of the war, and Pro God uh, saying it's two months total, and you're saying uh, Arendus that it was longer by putting. I'm saying that from where fun. from where I was sitting, it certainly appeared longer. I mean, one thing that I'm going to say straight up, and Pro God, you can argue with this if you want. You can tell me I'm wrong if you want, um, but. I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. Feel feel free to correct me. <laughs> well, uh... and I can I can only I can only interpret events through my own awareness of them. Which is why any reporter is going to always have a limited perspective on things. Yeah. Now, yeah, no, as far as as far as the tribute war goes, all right. I am more than happy to say that, hey, I could be wrong about this stuff. You have your view of how things would have gone out, how they would have worked. It's entirely possible you are more correct than I am. And I, I'm i cool with that. I have learned something here today, which is always fun. Well, I mean, that's you could say instead of I could say. Uh, I'm sorry. Was I supposed to go Maury Povich and throw a chair at him or something? No, I mean, do what you want. Well, you get the point that they're, um, yeah, and this is, uh, Arendis, this is why, uh, and I'm not picking on you, I'm just saying this in general because, uh, oh, feel- you know, I've said this to Matani too, this is why I don't like uh, pieces with that much edge to them that are punching really hard because it turns out, you know, sometimes it's not uh, correct. I've done them, uh, a lot, every writer's done them where you come out really strong against something and it turns out mm, it wasn't really correct. You know, but I, I did stir the nest. They they might be fun to read and they might feel good to write, but oh, and and this is, too. I, I think I actually described it to you this way when I was in the middle of writing it. Matter all, mm-hmm. um, it was an XKCD moment. What is that? Yeah, what is that? Someone on the internet is wrong. Oh, yeah, you're writing yeah. mad. Well, you know, it's just there's there's this thought process going through your head and when you're doing it, you're seeing other similarities and other scenarios and you're going, no, you see, here's the, here's the parallels here. And here's oh, the I get there. those little ruts all the time. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you blew me away with how much naval history you knew. I didn't know you had all that up there in your head. Well, the facts are all right. As far as what happened, um, <laughs> I would contend some different interpretations of it, but okay. But I would rather stick to the Eve stuff for now because that's what really matters. Um, where was I going? This um, fountain war, fountain war. I don't know about that. Where um, catch? Oh, catch war. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, catch war. Yeah, I know. I'm looking for that thing about stain. Oh, yeah. Um, so f- for starters, we, it was an invasion of Stainwagon space until you right. guys decided to make it about yourselves by deploying the EX-6. Um, I listened to all of those firesides, by the way, uh, between December 28th and January 1st. All of them? Uh, yeah, dog. Me and Billy listened to every single thing you guys put out. 
as when we were when we're about to fight a war against you. Why wouldn't we? That'd be dumb not to. Because they're tough. I mean, December twenty eighth and January first is like maybe one, except Mittens was traveling. Well, yeah, you had one, and then you had the uh, the stuff y'all are putting out. Well, y'all had the one to announce it. Y'all had a couple move ops where Asher gave some speeches, um, and then y'all had one uh, right before the eighteen hundred up. That's why we decided to form up early and get in there before you guys on uh, FR two. We were listening to that. Yeah, I, that was that was a fun day. I had a blast. Well, that's cool. Well, we can end on a happy note. Um, well, no. Actually, um, actually, uh, just as as a note, I want you to know the guy who apparently had a really good time in that was Soft Rosilla because you guys kept trying to kill him and kept didn't kill him. Really? Yeah. Uh, I don't know why there's a couple him. people who can't. There's a couple people that just caught reps really well. I used to think a lot uh, a lot about that, but Tida is so unpredictable. I honestly don't know if it that's is. just because he's getting better connections to the server than everyone else, or I honestly have no idea. After about the third time he got primaried, we just left him locked up. Yeah. I right, Keep in mind, I don't know which one of our fleets was shooting him. It could have been someone stupid. I generally don't go back to targets that saved reps. That's fair. Right. Okay. So, yeah, impasse. All you could do is assist. And really, even in catch, all we could do. All right. So I used to be in um, Southern Coalition for three years, uh, yep. which was Stain Wagon before this. Um. They don't live in Stain. They fall back to Stain, and there is a clear difference in that. They lived in V-3, and they love having Faith Abolis and Impasse and Paragon Soul because they make boatloads of money every time they have it. They, well, sure. there is, they don't not care about that space. That, that is very important to realize. Hmm. They are not primarily based in stain. In fact, they are not significantly based in stain or even moderately based in stain. They are not based in stain at all. Well, you, still, say that, they had you say to they keep falling. You say they fall back to stain. To me, that says that stain may not be where they spend most of their time when they have other space. But that is where they're based because they keep regrouping there. They're not based there. So they've, ever since Initiative and PL kicked out the AAA led by, um, well, Manny had seeded it at that point. Ever since Initiative and PL kicked out the Herculets lead, led AAA in 2010, and then Makalu and Tekkenathru, it took advantage of the Drake missile meta at the time where missiles cycled better than guns and tie-dye in late 2010. And they went and beat up on dead terrorists and the remnants of IT. This is before, right before you guys kicked IT out of Fountain. Um, remember when Band of Brothers was split between Catch and Fountain, uh, defending against Initiative and defending against you guys kicking uh, the um, Blade and all of those shitties and Fountain out. Okay. Yeah. So ever, yeah, ever since they had this comeback, where they went through esoteria in an impasse and they finally took catch back and they had this huge comeback they've des they decided then and Herculitz was really big about this he changed a lot of minds in stain co um 
that it's more important to have some space that you call uh it's not de jure it's de jure right um yeah yeah no de jure de facto it's de jure i think no 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 what's the uh de jure is by law de facto is is by fait accompli what's the, it's in europa enforcer. it's in uh it's in europa a lot the um Maybe I'm making a bad one. I'll just take two steps back. It's very important to have space that you call your homeland, your space that you always have. And this is why Hercules got so pissed at Nelly Secunda for pulling out a Southern Coalition when we did. He wanted us to do what they do in Stain. He said, when you guys in Test and PL were kicking us out of C3N, you should just move to Delvecore and call that your fallback point. And just always live in Delvin Aquarius. You call your homeland that, and people will never go away. He's like, this is how you keep an alliance together and all that. They truly believe that if they always they, – they actually enjoy it to an extent. That if they if they preach to their members that Esoteria and Faith Abolus and Impasse and Catch are our homeland, and that once we lose it, we'll always eventually take it back because we've done it before. Just trust us. And that's what running a huge EVE alliance is about. It's about having your members believe that you're actually, you know, as you said, a path to victory. Except it's not always, you know, not always a couple of weeks. It's just an idea that's achievable. Right. So, so they, after they lost their space, then and got it all back, they said we can always do this again. And then, of course, PL came down um, with NC Dot Red Alliance in 2011 and kicked them all the way back to Stain again. And um, they put it all together again, and they did it again. Uh, about six months later, Nully was in part of that. Um, that's when you guys were wiping out White Noise and Raiden in the north. While that was happening, Stainwagon and uh, AAA, which were not the same entity at the time, and Nully Secunda were sweeping in through the southeast and beating up on Red Alliance and the people that PL and Dot had left behind. Um, and they were pushing in on XIX's space, which at the time held Faith Abolis and uh, Impasse and Dideroid and all that space down there in Teniferous. Um, when you guys stopped with White Noise and Raiden space after you beat them and you stopped there, and NC Dot pulled out a. Oh, well, did they? I don't think they had pulled out a tribute wet yet. No, they hadn't. Let me go look at Dalton real quick. At who tribute would have been uh, fall of 2012. Yeah, so they that was Dalton goes back that far, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Right. So NC dot. Oh, I remember NC dot chose not to get involved. Um, they deployed back over to to help XIX. XIX hired PL and NC dot. That was when Solar and XIX had their fallout after you guys blew up White Noise and all that. And Southern Coalition and um, Soko and Solar teamed up and actually beat XIX, PL, and NC Dot in killing Red Alliance. Red Alliance then got moved over to Aquarius. Um, that's, that led to the Delve War where you eventually kicked down Nully. The point was, after all of that, after the second time of making their comeback from Stain, they decided this is it. And this is what we're always going to do. We're going to own these five regions. And if we lose them, we're going to fall back to Stain and try and retake them. Stain is not where they live. That is their staging point for their eventual reconquista of catch and esoteria and impasse. They don't 
live in stain and then spread into catch and esoteria and impasse to make money. Impasse, catch, esoteria, Paragon Soul, Faith Abolis is Stain Wagon's homeland. It is not stain. Stain is a staging point. They don't even they every time they go back, they just live in LGK and keep hitting catch space. Okay, I can see where you're making that point then. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, oh, from my from where awesome that was fucking awesome. Yeah, no. I mean, from my from my point of view, when I was saying they live in stain is basically more or less what you're getting at there is that stain is stain is their regrouping point. Stain is not necessarily where they want to spend most of their time, not where they try to spend most of their time, but stain is where they will always go and they will always go there and they will right. always try well, and come back from there i was saying that because in the in the article you said soft holding is a luxury for them one they indulge in when they can and do without whenever they must right and soft holding is not a luxury for them it's the goal for them and and they they hate losing the sov and they tolerate it and they can't wait until they can get it back like every time they lose it it's all about all right. We're gonna recon, you know, we're gonna reconquer it sooner or later, um, and the sooner the better. And we're gonna keep trying for it. Right, and but as that's you can see, or later. yeah, but it's it's, and this is the problem with Stainwagon. That's really drained on them. This is why XIX got involved in this war, and why XIX was involved in the last time, because X Death loves crushing Stainwagon and then poaching 10 to 20% of his Russian players every time. That's X-Death's main goal every time he gets into a war with Stainwagon is to poach the Russian players from there. And so they used to be Darkness of Despair and who was the other yep. alliance in AAA? And then after they lost all their shit, after Darkness of Despair got disbanded and we took all that space, they came back a lot less stronger. They were Afterlife and Soviet Union and then they took back Esoteria and Paragon Soul. But then, you know, Test came, I mean, Nully came and pushed them all the way back to Stain. And Afterlife broke apart and became a much smaller Afterlife and Soviet Union. And now Soviet Union has absorbed some of Stainwagon. But you've been playing for a while. This version of Stainwagon is weaker than the last version, which was weaker than the last version, which was weaker than the last version. This strategy is not working for them, it, it, it is run its course. This is not, you know, the, losing their space continuously and trying to retake it from Stain with no clear path to victory unless people pull out has really drained on them. So the, their whole soft holding is a luxury thing for them. It, it, not only is it not how they think, but it, it's backfiring for them if that were the case. Over a period of many years. Yeah. Well, the fact that, the fact that they are shrinking in size is not at all in dispute here. Yeah. I mean, so, just, just get that right out there. I'm not right. for even a heartbeat saying, oh, this has been a great move. Yeah, no, it's, um, I mean, people on EVE make, you know, just because the people on EVE have, uh, I mean, uh, you're right in that just because they're failing doesn't mean that that wasn't their intentions. I, I, I can see that point to you, but I, I'm contending that Stainwagon do greatly care about that space. That is their homeland. They they try to live there as often as possible. It is not they base in stain and then they, you know, whenever they can sow the fields and catch an esoteria, they go sow them and harvest them for as long as possible. 
Yeah, I I understand. You know, from your guys' perspective, Goons' perspective, there's there's tons of incentive to frame it differently. And I'm not saying I'm immune to uh, framing things in my favor and propaganda and everything that goes with trying to build a successful side in Eve. I get that, but um, I don't know. I, I my my main point is I thought your assessment of the tribute war was way off, and I, I thought your assessment of Stainwagon was also off. Um. As far as y'all's involvement in the uh, catch war, uh, the only thing I was surprised about is y'all went to EX6 instead of 407. Not because it was dumb. I mean, the only way you could even help is if you went to EX6. I just didn't think y'all would get yourselves that involved into a war with defending stain wagon space from people who had to take space or die. That just seems like a very tough position to put yourself in on three days' notice. Well, I can certainly see where that's a reasonable thing to be surprised about. Can I ask you, yeah. Brogod, there's there's something of a narrative I've noticed that uh, people think that uh, Goonsform Imperium are backed into a corner, residing in only one region with no allies around them, and it looks really bad for them right now. Is that your assessment, too? I don't think so. I mean... They have a large enough cat fleet that anyone coming to kill them would, I mean, it, it would take a full month of getting prepped and ready to get the forces. I think the only reason you guys didn't see World War B coming is because y'all have been on top for five or six years and y'all didn't think after five or six failed attempts to get the entirety of Eve to work together long enough to kill you guys, y'all thought it was impossible and that you didn't well, see the mach machinations going on that brought it all together. There I think y'all would be much more aware. There, there were a lot of contributing factors there too, but I, I highly doubt you wouldn't see it sooner this time than last time. Is my main point. Um, and to get the with with Phoebe, there was, a, there was definitely a fair amount of complacency. Yeah, at work there. Yeah, I, I think with Phoebe jump mechanics the way they are, you guys would see PL and NC dot. I mean, PL and NC dot would have to move their entire super fleets in range of Delve to even have a shot at winning a single timer which means they got to come through Quarius and live in Delvecore, which is like a weekend move up with two weeks preparation and then another week afterwards of moving all the straggling Supers and Titans in. And PL and NCDA isn't enough to break ADM6 and Tosis timers because they got to do that if they want to get a single system without having to do a Sino Jammer. So that's an issue. And then you got to get culture and whoever living in fountain involved, but they can't live in fountain to attack because they'd have to come through the ZXB gate every time, which is suicide. So they'd have to come to Delve Core too. You'd have to get tests and all the other people involved and they can't come through Paragon soul or the catch gate. They actually have to move to Delve. I mean, this is, this is a massive undertaking. So while well, I, I think you're clearly aware from the catch war, that there's still a lot of entities willing to team up on short notice to shoot you guys. Um, I don't think their position in Delve is that bad. I, I mean, you guys realized it, that if you live in a central system in a region that has jump range to most of the systems, you can defend it and farm the shit out of it pretty much with impunity. Sure, and that and the key was population density, which we didn't have yeah. on Delve. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you, you look, at, when, when, Phoebe, when Phoebe and Entosisov hit, I mean... Northern Associates and Nulli Secunda, we slowly lost all of our renter space trying to defend it. Um, 
And I think that's mainly because we were just the first ones to be attacked. Like, obviously, the meta changed considerably, and everyone who tried to hold on to their old pre-Phoebe, pre-Entosasov holdings eventually learned how difficult that was. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we saw some of that coming, and that's why we divested of basically everything south of Cloud Ring. Um, But looking back, we definitely should have consolidated a lot more. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure that everybody would have. I mean, I mean that's as, part of the problem. It's completely right? undeniable. Let's face it, Gigix is a proud man. I don't. I don't know that CO2 would have been willing to to move out of their space. Yeah, well, I'm not and sure he you needed to see one. tribute. Um, I, I mean, obviously, you guys clearly realized how hard Vale was very early on. Um, that's something that probably should have been done before the war. You know, I don't think that's too much of a overreach there to say that. No, but at the same time, I mean, there's obviously speaking from my my own limited perspective. Um, there's only so much you can do on that. I mean, you can't. Yeah. No, as, as as one member of a coalition, you can't just like pick another alliance up and go, "Hey, guys, you're moving." Yeah. Well, it's uh, you know, the the problem of the slow moving disaster. It's it's really hard to convince people. You know, at some point in the future, this is going to be bad. You need to pick up all your shit and go. Yeah, I don't know, man. So, what I would like to talk about though is the the, the soft meta and how the the capital meta is going to affect that. I, I I think it's a lot easier to get into a, a, a I, I personally think that wars and I may I my opinion actually might be changing on this. Um like I'm still undecided a little did bit a, on this. Did Arendis's article change your opinion? Not at all. No. Um <laughs> No, I think he's saying that his experiences have have led to an evolution Maybe of Maybe you'll come thinking. around sometime, Pro God. You'll well, no, no, no. So uh, let me let me get to my point first. So uh, one of my main contentions there was that the quote unquote land warfare of of Dominion Sov might be better than the new naval decisive battle warfare of Citadel Sov, right? Um, and my main contention on that was that the four month, three month long wars with daily battles like the Fountain War. I mean, the Fountain War was around the clock for two and a half months, right? Like constant conflict. Yeah. Um. And the, you know, I think about that and then I remember the Halloween War, which lasted five months. But how many real decisive battles were there? There was a lot of battles, but there was also a lot of blue balls. It it was, yeah, but it took five months to get to them. Um, There was just a lot of positioning and all that. I don't know. Halloween War was interesting. There's a lot of people who say it was very boring. And um, I have trouble arguing with them, even though I, I have seen... Not all of that war. It was uh, two months where I wasn't there. But um, I've seen a lot there was, of it. There was a whole lot of grindy, oh, God, this again, shit. Yeah. So um, I have trouble arguing with people who say the Halloween War was boring. Um, and the Halloween War was, as I view it, the final evolution of the Dominion meta. Like, that was where five years of de- developing the meta under Dominion Sov was leading to. And it finally got there during the Halloween War. That was the most advanced tactics on both sides. Everyone had finally figured it out type thing. And I don't think any war after yeah, that were, under Dominion Sov would have been fought any differently. Yeah, there, there, as, near as, I, as near as I can remember, there weren't any real developments after that within Dominion Sov. Yeah. 
like there were there were there were dust ups, but there was there wasn't any real oh somebody's trying something incredibly new. Um, basically, the 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 wrecking ball and the dummy ball were pretty much it. Well, yeah. Well, even after Dronasign got nerfed, I mean, Dommies were just the flavor of the month subcap meta at the time. You know, they, they right the subcaps that came after that. The point was Wrecking Ball was pretty much unstoppable, and um, well, that's what I remember of uh, Halloween War was Wrecking Ball. Yeah. Um. That's so I I think back to that, and one of the biggest complaints about Dominion Sov and Force Projection at the time was that the number of fleet commanders who could reasonably be considered good enough to lead a side was shrinking massively. I mean, by the end of the Halloween War, you could count the number of fleet commanders on two hands that were capable of leading a war in that environment. And you had to, to lead that war, you had to be available pretty much around the clock. Um, and they lasted for months. I mean, Manny, who led most of the Halloween War, has not FC'd significantly ever since. And Manny has never quit this game, and he's been playing since 2004. Um, he He's one of those people that's always going to play Eve. He loves his fucking game. But he has not, he is it, he was there for the entire World War B, and, not, and Manny really wanted to kill you guys and take all your space. Trust me, he had a vendetta to grind Probably against y'all. And he still would not get involved <laughs> too much in the FCing. He was there for the big fights and he was there behind the scenes coaching Killaby and helping all that, but he didn't want to be involved again after the Halloween war. I mean, that I, I don't blame him. He was there every day FCing for hours at a time and it was just grueling. And I remember what I said to myself. So I was the main FC for test during the fountain war, even though I wasn't in test. And I was after, especially after NC dot, went to deal with the whole solar disband of our, uh, no, all the disband of our rental alliance. And I was FCing every day, sometimes for 10 hours a day. Um, it was the summer. I was between college semesters and I had enough money. Well, I had a job, but I wasn't taking any classes. And a lot of my friends were studying abroad and shit like that. So I'll, I was like, fuck it. You know, it's a fun war. I'm just going to do it. And I FC'd like 10, 12 hours a day for almost two months and after the fountain war i was like i'm never ever ever going to do that again that was absolutely unbelievable and when the halloween war came around i i ended up telling grath like look i'm not going to be there every day because i'm not doing that again um so i i think back to that and then I, and you know i think about back to how wars are changing now um with where it's basically like how close can you get your capital fleet to their capital fleet and when can you beat it and that's what's going to matter. Um, I'm not so sure I'm against the new developing meta that I decried you know, on your show, Matterall. Um, I've thought about it since I made all those statements on talking in stations. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure I'm against the two-week war. My only problem with that, and I made this point a lot to CCP when I was on the CSM, because this is back when they were making... Uh, patches every six weeks that were changing the game considerably. And I, I sat there on the CSM and I told them, honestly, at the rate y'all are going, I'd rather y'all go back to two expansions a year because this shit is just go driving people crazy. Because, Arendis, you know this, for, on the small, you know, for the grunt, uh, line member grunt, 
a, a patch may not be a big deal, but on the alliance leadership level, every time CCP changes really, the game, yeah. you got to be like, okay, this is the new meta. We got to spend four months shifting everything to what account does, for that. And, and what does this mean for us and how is this going to yeah. play out? So I was telling CCP, you guys are changing the game so often that people aren't having time to adjust. This drives people away from the game uh, because they'll spend two months building something up and then the game will change. And that two thing they build up for two months doesn't work anymore. And then they'll spend two months building something else up and the game will change. And then finally they'll be like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not building up anything again. And every time this, so this happens a lot when alliances get kicked out of their space, alliances get kicked out of their space. Inevitably some people quit. It happens a lot because they realize like, shit, we spent six months doing all that stuff. I'm not sure they want to do that again. I don't mind that, but I do mind that in the new meta, you know, an alliance can move next to you. It, these two week wars. The only thing I worry about is that these two week wars that are likely to happen um, could make change too fast in Eve. I, I think there is a there's a happy medium in there where the game needs to be, you know, it vibrant. Needs it needs things going on, but if things are going on too quickly and things are burning too quickly and owning space becomes too risky, people will eventually not do it. Yeah, Eve Eve needs stability as much as it needs conflict. Right, it does, and uh, honestly. The, the big thing we've been trying to search for with for 13 years with PawSov, DominionSov, all that is what is the right amount of stability and what is the right amount of conflict? Um, I think both of us agree that by, towards the end of DominionSov, the amount of stability that it provided was ridiculous. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. And, and at the same time, because of that, you wound up with situations where people looking for conflict wound up shooting themselves in the foot. Like yeah. when Razor basically wiped out uh, Intrepid, Co Intrepid Crossing meaning to. Yeah, I know. I remember when you guys invaded Intrepid Crossing. I couldn't believe you are doing it. I was like, why would you want to kick them out of being your neighbor? And it didn't make sense to me. But um, I don't know. I, I, I still think that, you know, just thinking about all the stuff we looked at you know, strategically going into this war. And we were fully aware that you guys were going to get involved. The only thing we didn't anticipate is that y'all would go to EX6 instead of 407. And I'm going to be blunt. The only reason we didn't think we were go to, you would go to EX6 is we didn't think you had the balls to. But, um, uh, I, so, we, so we went through all that decision-making process. We, we laid out our plan. The plan was in the first week, we were going to focus on moving in, and then killing the V-3I hub. And then by the next weekend, we were going to set up our Fortazars and set up a decisive battle. That was the whole plan. Two weeks before we even um, moved down to catch and curse, that was the plan. And um, I think about that, and I'm like, at first I was like, damn, that's not going to be fun, right? You know, EVE is about these long wars with big, you know, big sweeping conflicts over a three-month period. But those wars used to burn out everyone. They really did. Like it, it, it's what made Eve a job for a lot of people. And oh, totally. And I'm not sure that I'm against this. So, like, what was so nice about this catch war is that I could actually live my life in between these major battles without worrying about if the whole war was going to fall apart. Oh. Um, that's just crazy talk. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I'm not so sure I'm against it because it allows a lot more. 
people to get involved. Um, I'm not a big fan of every single major battle lasting 10 hours because of how the Citadel repair mechanic works in tie-dye. Um, I'm not sure exactly how you would go around that, though. I saw somebody suggesting that when it hits 10% tie-dye, the repair timer should go two times as fast. But the problem with that is, if the repair timer is going two times as fast but nothing else is, then how do I clear out all these fleets in time to deal with the repair timer? Or more importantly, since it's basically impossible to stop someone from pausing the timer until you kill literally everything they have on grid, because almost any amount of damage pauses a timer, um, how do I defend myself? So this is one of the reasons we took this war, and it's this is my current understanding of Citadel mechanics. I am of the uh opinion that citadels are an extremely weak defensive position and i know that that sounds weird um but i think citadels are a joke i i think they're easy to kill that's against uh, the, the common uh, wisdom these days right yeah to me the the common uh the general understanding around all of eve is that citadels are these rocks that you have to get really you know really grouped up for to kill i i don't think that at all i think if you can beat the fleets that are defending it and you've got a and you know how to handle getting void bombed which is the only thing citadels can do that matter is void bomb um then it's a joke because how are they going to sit there all you got to do is keep the dps cap up while you fight and if you can win the fight then you can win the fight that's it it's over i, I mean how do they stop you from pausing the tire it's almost impossible they, they can't repair it. They have to literally clear everything off the grid. And keep in mind, there's only been three or four really big Citadel fights yet, and there are so many gay things that you could do to keep that timer going. The the Citadel is a 250-kilometer... Your drones. Just yeah, all you need centers. is drones because the drones and the fighters... Which So here's the thing about fighters. They spread out around the entire Citadel, which has a diameter of like 250 kilometers. More than that, yep. I think. So you can't even really clear the drones because once they spread out around it, they're they're in this 400 kilometer, 300 kilometer sphere. And, and you know, we were, um, I think it was uh, in FOR2, we were trying to clear your fighters off one of our Fortizars, and we couldn't do it because my fleet could only reach so many of them. Um, and, and, you know, 10% tie-dye, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Citadels are, are, are a joke uh, as far as, you know, defensive posture i mean they're, they're nice they're better than um pulses well i don't know actually at least pulses you could get rep power on um no they're, they're probably better than pulses and, and they're really good the concept but uh well i shouldn't a joke joke is harsh i shouldn't say joke i just don't think that they're not the one, they're not the answer to everything that a lot of people say they are yeah well they're not these super defensive positions that people think that they are and they're, they're very killable and they're so killable that I, I question – I mean, I kept saying that to Vince and uh, PL during the Tribute War. I was like, you know you guys can kill this thing whenever you want. They weren't so sure. They spent a lot of time theorycrafting that battle. Um, and they were not ready to commence that battle until they had complete control of the situation. Um, I disagreed. I thought that – all you got to do is get in there and win the fight and keep the timer paused. And, and and here's the other thing. Let's say you're winning the fight, um, and we were ready to do this to the Stainwagon Russians. 
all I got to do is continue with the time, keep keeping the timer paused. I can do that by spreading my fleets out on grid. I mean, there's this, if, if the Fortizar is 250 kilometers wide, then there's 550 kilometer sphere, more than that, up to 600. Wait, no, 250, no, no, 550 kilometers. Um, where I can sit there and engage that thing. And that, I mean, I can spread my fleets around, I can bounce around grid. Uh, the less people are shooting at each other, the more time that goes around, which opens me up more options. It's um, it's an incredibly difficult position to be. Just bounce around the citadel itself. Yeah, well, I mean, we had a tactic where we were going to just use um, 100 MN Serbs with heavy missiles, barely any tank, heavy uh, tracking computers, and just buzz them around the citadel, pausing the timer. And if, you know, if the battle's going on for 10, 12 hours, and we still got the timer pause, people are going to start logging out. And more importantly, and this has always been the problem in EVE with being in a defensive position, I don't have to necessarily win the first timer. All I got to do is keep reinforcing, and you guys know this more than anyone, all you got to do is keep reinforcing it and just keep reinforcing it. And eventually they'll get burned out, assuming yep. that you can convince your members that that's a path to victory. But a lot of people have been able to do that in the past. Sure, that's that grinding, grinding down the enemy's will to be masochistic is a time-honored tactic in even. Well, that's yeah. interesting because the, I mean, part of the whole thing is you want people to see what you're doing, right? Like witness me when you're fighting these big fights, you're a part of something that's big that more people will see. But if it's all going to be little ex, um, skirmishes like around everywhere, is that going to be, it's going to have the same like draw, the same addiction that these big fights have. I, uh, I don't know. I, these big fights, I'm of the opinion that these big fights should happen periodically but not too often and that there should be a lot of minor battles in between because i think about and you you were right about one thing horrendous but you were wrong in that i don't think about it um you know military if you're going to compare military tactics and all that to eve you have to remember that eve players aren't soldiers they're people who can get up from their computer and walk away we take that well, I, heavily I into consideration I didn't necessarily think you weren't thinking about that, just that a lot of yeah. people don't think about it when they get on the lol Sun Tzu thing. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. That's, um, and no, I almost regretted making the World War II analogy, um, because I, I do rip on people for that. But there are some things that, uh, it's not so much that you compare it, uh, you compare it all together. Um, you compare Eve to real life military tactics in a kind of, I'm trying to search for the right word here. Um, literally, I, I think if you conceptually understand it, it, it's concepts a little bit. Yeah. So well, a lot of thing I use a lot, um, with FCing is I like to explain, uh, and actually Mattis, General Mattis just is recently very famous now. So this is cool, but I like to explain maneuver warfare to people as far, as far as how to approach an E fight in a subcap battle. Um, but I'm not clearly making parallels between real-life marine tactics, maneuver warfare, and how you should approach an EVE battle. I just use the concept of you should always be moving as fast as possible to get the, you know, to get the enemy FC in a position where he has to make decisions he's not ready to make. It's just the concept. So my whole World War II thing was conceptually, you know, 
Eve, Be Eve Wars back in Dominion Sov used to look a lot more like the Russian front than they do now. And that was my, you know, land warfare versus naval warfare thing. And I get you said it was a good analogy, so I'm okay with that. But um, I don't know. I, I'm no longer 100% convinced that the new path is so bad. I'm just worried that the only thing I worry about with decisive wars that ended quickly is that every time someone decides to, I'm going to start a new alliance, I'm going to start a new alliance, we're going to take space, we're going to be a big player, you know, these are the kind of people you want, right? You want those people in EVE because that's how new alliances come around. Um, sure. You, you want the people who are aggressive and willing to go out and take what they want. Yeah, you, you want you need those new groups starting up. Um, most of the time, they're started by people who were already in a zero-zero alliance who saw that experience. They think they've got a new approach to it. They're going to start a new alliance with four or five zero-zero corps, and they're going to try and take space. Now, because they're experienced, they have a little bit of an idea of what they're going to do and how the approach is. Um, the big problem with uh, when it was um, in three versus goons and they owned one half, each side owned one half of the map, is that there were no new groups making new alliances because they realized, oh shit, you know, unless we become a part of N3 or become a part of CFC, we're not going to be able to do anything. My only worry is when you've got a system where anyone can just move their cap fleet next to you and be like, all right, you better get the fuck out of here, game over. You're, then that changes the equation for the people who are trying to go take space. They'll think about like, all right, I want to go take parts of Wicked Creek. Now, how do I defend it once I get there? Well, I really can't do anything. And if someone decides to move next to me, it will be over in two weeks. So maybe we shouldn't take this space. And and that's what worries me. You know, you, you want to... Yeah, you want to have a position that's – you want to have a game that's – it's just like you said. There's a stability that's important just as much as there's a everything's on fire that's important. You want wars yeah. in the game because wars are fun, but you also want a little bit of stability there. And there is a balance that needs to be had. Right, and the difficult part the, – the really difficult thing about achieving that balance is that whatever you do that helps the little guy, the big guy's going to be able to exploit better. Yeah, he's got yeah. more resources. He's got more manpower. It's tough. It's really tough. I always, um, I was, I was always contending that as long as you give the little guy options to, you know, engage, you know, give him, give him things that he can do. Give him Sino jammers. Give him citadels. Citadels were one of our biggest complaints of Dominion Sov on the CSM, and, and we made this point endlessly, is that once the battle started on an iHub, there really wasn't a difference between the attackers or defenders. They're just two fleets fighting. There was no defensive advantage on an iHub, right? Now, there was a defensive advantage in the fact that I could kill the SBUs and get you down to below 50% coverage, but that's that was just a little bit of nuance into the tactical approach within the, in the system. There was no defensive advantage that kind of could be a force multiplier there. So citadels and the reason they have such good defensive properties kind of came out of that is that you need to give the defenders something to resist a larger attacking force. Um, now, obviously, I'm not sure if citadels are perfectly balanced in any way. Uh, I think there's still a lot to be said there. But the idea is that, you know, 
there should be a defender advantage, in my opinion. There should be at least some defender advantage because that's what gives stability. Um, I think a lot of people talked about the problem with Dominion Sav was that it was so easy to take space sometimes. Or in Tosasav and that as well. I, I think it should be hard to take space. I think it should be difficult. I, I think taking space should be something that's somewhat difficult. Not too well, difficult, but it's yeah, defended space. It should be hard. It, it shouldn't be easy. It, it should be a massive undertaking to an extent. If it's too easy, then it's just something people do all the time in their pastime when they're not even ready for it, and it's hard for new groups to kind of get their shit together. Um, right. So, yeah. I, I'm skeptical of the Citadel, uh, of the new Citadel mechanics going forward, and I do think... What I said on the show still matters. Um, all that matters is the citadel that you stage out of and the citadels that you can move your staging to. All these iHubs and shit, they're irrelevant. You know, uh, and this is the point in the catch war that I think we'd probably both agree on. Test and CO2 and all that could have taken every single iHub and TCU and catch. But as long as you guys lived in EX6 and Stainwagon lived in V-3, what did we change, really? I mean, nothing. It's not like we can use that space while you guys live there. It certainly would have been difficult. Yeah. So, um, the Intosis stuff on the side is 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 not what how people. It's not a path to victory for the war. It, it's more of a. Uh, it, it's it's down to the citadels and where you stage. Yeah, I think I think that the way Intosis warfare is shaping up is Intosis warfare is shaping up as a harassment technique. Mm -hmm. Which I'm okay with. I mean, I, I do think there needs to be some... That was one of my... Another big contention is back in... One sec. So back in 2007, 2008, when there was a lot of roaming, and there weren't a lot of wars, there was a lot of roaming in between the wars, um... That was something that kept people engaged in the game, you know, interested without having to burn out the fleet commanders and burn out the alliance leadership. Roaming was perfect because it gave people who wanted to play the game from day to day something to do, but it gave the people who were responsible for organizing these large alliances um, a little bit of a breather to where they could still live their lives and not have to be forced to wake up at 5 a.m. just to make sure they don't lose what they've been building up for two years. Um, there are people willing to do that, but there, you know, there's a limit to that. Um, so if Itosis ends up becoming the new roaming, I'm okay with that. I, I kind of hope it is. That would be interesting. It's, uh, there definitely needs to be some minor, minor border conflicts, minor skirmishes in between all these big wars. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um. As far as the defensive advantage goes, uh, what it sounds like you're saying is that defenders should be able to have some way to fortify their space. Would you, would yeah, you that's about yeah, right? that's exactly right. And I don't, I don't mind if it ends up being an expensive option. Um, citadels aren't cheap. I, I think if you're willing to pour a trillion isk into making your space a fortress, more power to you. It's, it's, um. It's okay if that ends up becoming a really difficult to take fortress. It just means that when people finally do burn it down, and I'm sure it will eventually happen, that's a trillion isk down the drain. 
and it's also more of an accomplishment for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you you guys built up quite the uh quite the uh home over 6 years in Northwest Eve. And when it did finally fall, it was the most public war. It was a war. thing, yeah. It was the most public war in Eve history, I think. Um I wouldn't say it was a very different war than most wars have been in the past, but it was definitely the most public war. It was the most talked about war. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. Uh, you said something that was really interesting. You said that if uh, Sav was too easy to take, that guys that want to get a chance to get in would have a harder time of it, which is opposite of what you would think. Why is it that? is opposite of what you would think, but if Sav is too easy to take, then it's too hard to defend. And groups that are considering moving, and this is the pro, this is the thing you ha, uh, people don't really understand about Eve until they actually try to get a corporation or alliance together and do shit. When, when you decide, like, okay, I'm gonna get my alliance and go take Wicked Creek, you got to plan all that out. That's hours out of your day. You got to write the forum post. You got to move the assets. You got to get the jump freighters moving stuff. You got to set up markets. You got to put all your towers up or whatever moon mining becomes in the future. You got to do all that. And if that, if you know before you decide, I'm going to go take Wicked Creek, that that's what it takes. Now, if you also know that any one of these major alliances that loves to go vacation somewhere and shit on people can come wipe you out in a week for fun then you're going to be really, really cautious about that decision. You're going to say to yourself, I'm not sure if it's worth the time it would take to set up in Wicked Creek to, you know, go do all this stuff. Um, it, it's, I mean, we'd be putting in all this money, all of our assets out there. And you got to keep in mind, one of the big things a lot of alliance leaders consider is that every time you have to make a quick move. You have to evac or stuff like that. There's a portion of your member base that will not be able to log in and, and move their fleets. This is why Elise Randolph and a couple other people with large super fleets hate the new Phoebe jump mechanics and want to travel mode. They want to travel mode. It, once a month or some mechanic where you can move without a jump reactivation timer. Um and it doesn't have to bring back force projection. Elise's uh, idea was you just get to once a month choose to move your super instantly, or not instantly, but without jump reactivation timer. I know a couple of other people's ideas where when you do it, you get like seven days of jump fatigue, um, which I think that's a better idea. Regardless, and, and Elise and I talked about this, you can do a three-week announcement. In three weeks on Sunday, you know, three weeks later, we're going to do this big giant move. Everyone needs to be there. And you could move your super and Titan fleet all the way across Eve, and you would still have some people who couldn't make that up. And, and so every time you get kicked out of your space, you, you leave a little bit behind. And you have to take those cost considerations into effect. So if I'm going to move into space in zero, 0 and all of a sudden out of nowhere, I can instantly get kicked out pretty much. I'm leaving, you know, that there, there's a lot of cost there. And yes, you have asset safety from these citadels, which makes it a big difference. Um, but people in EVE are generally risk averse. It's really hard to convince people to say, okay, we're, we're going to take a risky move and there's a decent chance we'll have to pay 15% of your asset cost to get your shit out. But let's try it anyway. You know, very few alliances have that kind of buy-in from their members that they're okay with that. 
So that was interesting. I thought you were going to go and say something along the lines of the the investment is part of what brings a group together, like the the labor involved and the coordination of actually doing something hard is what keeps people uh, together. Doing something hard is what brings people together, but it is very difficult to convince people who've never done something hard to do it. Um, I think um, an additional point on the whole, if solve is too easy to take, no one will take it thing is if, if solve is too easy to take, if you're, let's say you're a, you're a really small alliance and you look at the thing and you go, you know what, we can take solve. The, as soon as you realize that the next thing you have to think of is, you know what, that other schmo with five guys can do it to us too. And that's exactly right. And the part of the reason that that matters is because anyone can come and poke, like an attacking group can show up and harass your space. And as a defender, every time someone does that, you have to show up and defend or you're going to lose whatever they're attacking. There's no incentive for the attacking group to engage. They, they don't lose anything by not successfully completing their objective. All they lose is a day. Um, they can show up and do the same thing tomorrow. Yep. So being on a defensive position is is very it, it, it's a it's a risk and people are gonna take that risk into account. And if the reward is not worthwhile or the risk is too high and making SOV really easy to take pushes the risk way up, then they're not gonna go for it. Um so that's why Intosa sovereignty in general, if there was nothing else, was always destined to fail. Because Intosa sovereignty was really easy to take off. Yeah, that, um, was, that was the biggest issue we had with it from the beginning was the attacker needs to make no real investment here. What's yeah, what's, no, the, that what's, was what's my, the enticement for, own, for actually putting up with this crap? That was my contention, too. Um, but if I remember correctly, you liked uh, Intosa. I liked the concept. I really liked the concept. And I still like Intosa Soft. Just because I have... Just because I say I have I like Intosa Soft doesn't mean I don't realize there's plenty of problems with it. But I love the concept. And I love what it... Um, I'm of the attention that the... I'm of the mindset that the biggest problem with single point objectives is that it makes the uh, it makes the should we engage, should we not engage equation too easy. There's not enough incomplete information there. Yeah, um, and what it ends up leading to is a lot of battles that don't happen. You know, for every yeah, BTEC R, easy. yeah, it's for every- easy to just do the math and go, nope, we can't win that fight. Yeah, for every BTEC R there is, for every SH1, there's like 10 or 20 that don't happen. Um, with Ventosasov, when there's objectives in the entire constellation, I show up with my fleet and I'm like, okay, uh, I don't know where these nodes are going to spawn. Let's see what happens. And it leads, you know, battles happen mostly when FCs make a mistake. No, no, very few fleet commanders go into a fight there. They know they're going to lose. They go into a fight. They think they have a shot at winning. And the more incomplete information you have, the more, well, there is a limit on that too, but the more you can kind of muddy that water and increase the fog of war the more battles you're going to have definitely so that that was my main thing that i liked about Intosa sovereignty and i still love the concept it i think it needs a lot of work but i would oh, be yeah. sad if, 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 if in Sovereignty. battles are the way to yeah. go i mean 
Yeah, so I would be sad if it disappeared from the game completely. Basically, what I what I what I think Intosasov wanted to do, um, and this is this may sound sound a little odd um, until it's unpacked a bit. Um, I think what Intosasov wanted to do, to do was to introduce terrain. To oh no, no terrain is something we talked about a lot. Well, I'm I'm glad you used that word. To well, to basically say too, okay. Right? Yeah, but like to basically say, okay, if if you want to hold this system, you need to hold this whole area, and that means you need control of choke points. You need positions where you can maneuver a lot more easily than your your opponent can, things like that, um, and the ability to to basically say, okay, this is this is someplace where we can mass forces here and here and deal with what's going to happen and behind that to, to establish lines in effect oh yeah and, and that's one of my favorite things about Antosis soft is, is the way the constellations shape each battle differently um i mean the every constellation is shaped a certain way with different gates connecting to different systems and that changes the the tactics around each Intosis battle considerably. Um, if you remember, I mean, Manuel, if you saw the Tribute War, the UMI constellation, which is a nine-system constellation where six of them are kind of in a box that all connect to each other, it, it made it extremely difficult for NCDOT to trap one of our fleets and keep it there. We were able to move from system to system and win Intosis nodes. And then as soon as they got past that constellation into the 15W constellation, which is just one string of six systems in a straight line, there was nothing we could do. We would get trapped in a system with one of their fleets on one side, one of their fleets on the other side, and it was it. The fight was over. Um, you know, all these considerations it, it, of like how many systems are there, how can we move from system to system, it, it it is terrain. It's it's terrain in a very real life military tactical way, which is really nice, um, and it it helps a lot in, in keeping the battles varied, and that that's a really nice aspect of it. Um, the fact that there's a lot of incomplete information within Tosis battles is a very nice aspect of it. The execution of it, as far as the best way <laughs> the best way to kill Intosisers is eighty insta line interceptors. Um, that obviously needs to change somehow. I don't know what the best way to do it is, but that is a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they just didn't take the faction warfare mechanics and I guess it would just be warp in, warp out. I don't know. Well, I don't know how you feel about that, horrendous, but. Well, what, actually, one of the things that, one, one of the things that I had, put into the forum thread on Intosis feedback when it was still being kicked around was the idea that you don't really need this module. If the idea is you have to be able to control the node, then control the node. Just Yeah, which make, is how faction warfare nodes X work, by the way. ships within range or X mass of ships within range. I mean, let's face it, if you drop a super capital fleet on a node and somebody's got 10 times as many interceptors as you have supercarriers, 
those interceptors don't matter. So I'll tell you the origin of that because that was an idea. The, the point of the Intosis module and the reason it works the way it does and the reason the Tech 2-1 is so expensive um, is it's supposed to make the, the attackers have to commit something. The problem with the controlling the node thing is that, you know, all you got to do is warp off, right? Um, so the Intosis module... It, the way it works is supposed to make it to where you lose something if you lose control of the node. Um, and in that V-3 fight, I think we lost 50 or 60 Entosis rapiers, which are fitted with a T2 Entosis and cost about four to 500 million. I mean, we lost 20 billion ISK in rapiers. So, um, it, 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 and there was a point in the fight where we were like, damn, dude, we are burning through like half a cap fleet in Entosis rapiers right now. Um, it's just, it's, I don't know how you get past the whole, uh, honestly, I'm not so sure how much the, how, if it would be better if you just got rid of the interdiction nullified in, uh, role of the interceptor. I just don't want to get rid of that. Cause I actually like that, you know, as far as the game is concerned. Yeah, I, I do too. You can take tours, uh, without worrying about getting, cause it used to be like, uh, if you decided to go into Nullsec, you'd get so far, and then you'd go to Choke Point, and there'd be a camp, and you would die. And that was just it. Yeah. It's, um... If you're in a fleet or with Rome, in Rome, it's different, but... Well, I mean, I guess the idea is, should you be able to reliably 100% insta-warp away from every gay camp, or should you not be able to do that? Is that a bad thing? Uh, probably, because uh, people use people use that occasion to sit around a bubble like a fishing hole and they sit there and talk and <laughs> kill things as they come and go and it builds the corporations like bonds yeah i mean because that's the real crux of the issue the reason i like the nullified part of interceptors is that it, it, it defines their scout role very well you can tell an interceptor to warp to something at 100 and know that it's always going to land there at 100 which is super important um for entering a grid. I don't think of it so much as moving system to system. I think of it more as very important within the system, trying to scout, you know, warping to a planet, seeing this, all that. Perhaps it goes right, away the same when, time. when these um, communication towers structures or whatever come around, maybe the uh, all the recon stuff shifts to that. What are these? I've never heard of these. What are these? Oh, these are like the uh, communication towers that are coming. It's part of structures. Should I know about those? Yeah, you were on CSM, man. Don't look at me. Yeah, I forget what they're called. I mean, I, I know, I know the concept, but yeah, I'm naming uh -huh. them differently than they probably are. But they're uh, they're basically gonna have these, uh, you know, towers that you can then get information from your systems wherever you plant these towers. It's of course ambiguous. We don't know what's in it, but that was the idea. And then some people thought, oh, well, that can be, you know, how you find out about. You know, maybe local goes away, and then these towers provide you with local, basically, and that kind of thing. So there's some theory about, uh, yeah, these are probably second to last thing they'll do. Oh, I got to go into my door real quick. Bear, bear. While he's away, Arendis, what was the, uh, can you frame this all up so that I can put that at the beginning? <laughs> frame what all up? Like the whole conversation? Yeah, like the introduction to the conversation. I should probably, because I have to go pretty soon. I'll have to cut this off. And, um, But, you know, what, uh, 
so you heard talking in stations and there was uh, pro God talking about naval uh, stuff and you're like, well, I got a different opinion about that. And you decided to write an article about that. And that's what brings us to this occasion. And you related the um, naval uh, examples of actual naval war or battles to wars in Eve, something like that, right? I did. I, I drew I drew parallels from my own observation of things, which, you know, obviously there's room for error that. there. Yeah. Um, and I think we've touched on all the points of in your article uh, pretty thoroughly, and so. even gone past that. I don't know what you want A to do with that yet. recording. Man, yeah, all yeah. Right. I just need an introduction, like, um, you know, for, uh, that's. I guess I can record it myself to kind of set up what the whole this whole thing is about. So that people on the has, internet they get context. shit wrong. <laughs> that might be the subtext, but the actual point of it was because um, you know that that really so that, that really know. sort of applies both to the you know why I wrote the article and Pro God's response to me about the tribute war especially yeah. and, and i mean i i'm catches you know well no dumb motherfucker you were wrong yeah well i'm freely willing to contend that uh my my real life naval tactic um analogies i was pulling out of air at the time were probably mis mis misused to a bit sure and i i don't want i don't want anybody to think that i was basically that, that i was trying to imply that you were intentionally saying things that don't that aren't true or or that you were just kind of you know getting things wrong because oh my god pro god's an idiot no it's just i mean when you're speaking extemporaneously errors happen and the problem there becomes that people listening don't necessarily know oh well that was just a misinterpretation or that was him thinking one thing and saying something else and then they take the wrong lessons away from it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know. I, I, I always, <laughs> I always put my foot in my mouth. So I try to, I'm just used to it now. Oh, I never do that. I'll ask yeah. you that never. one more time, uh, pro God during BTEC R, I remember you were on PL comms and I think it was a room full of tense FCs who were assessing how much they were losing. I don't remember that. I know what you're referring to, by I the know. way. And you came into the room, and I thought, uh, maybe my memory is wrong, but I thought you said, you're, upon entry, you're like, well, I, I didn't lose a fleet today. <laughs> no, I th I'm I, that's, look. Does that sound like something so, you would that's say? So that's so much sounds like something I would say that I can't even refute that's what happened. <laughs> I'm, I almost, I'm almost certain that happened. I just don't specifically remember it. Which probably is worse because it proves that it's something I would just say off the cuff without even realizing it. <laughs> that's, I, a, that's a wonderful line, though. That's great. Yeah. yeah the funny part was <laughs> nobody took it. Everybody was kind of like, <laughs> everybody's grumbly. But I, I, um, I want to say that's true. But I, you know, that was years ago now, and my memory is getting faulty on these little details. But I, that just stuck out to me as like, oh, pro God, you just jumped in the middle of a lion's den and said, "Hey, I'm a Christian." <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, I don't know. It was, I was frustrated because that that was happening as I was coming back from the CSM, and I got to watch the flight fight. Um, I was sitting in the Denver airport, being delayed, watching the fight start. 
And I had time uh, when the fight started. I was live tweeting the fight because that was when I was building my Twitter followership. So I convinced you guys at TMC to embed my Twitter account live feeding, and I got like a thousand followers from that. So, <laughs> um, so I was on on my laptop in the airport using the airport Wi-Fi, which I couldn't do anything. Uh, on my Eve client, reading the channels, um, and live tweeting it. it the, Two Titans had already died when I boarded my plane in Denver. Flew to Houston, got on my connection in Houston, flew to New Orleans, drove home from New Orleans to my house in Baton Rouge, got on, and that's when I formed my fleet. And I think if you remember, when I formed my fleet, the fight was still going on. So that should tell you how long that battle was. Yep. Just short downtime to downtime. Yeah. It was... um. It was interesting. It, it was miserable though, because when I was on the plane, you know, this is before airport. Uh, this is before Wi-Fi on planes was pretty wide. So um, I'm just sitting there, like, well, I guess when I land, I'll figure out if all our Titans died or not. <laughs> that that was, uh, that was a day. It was a day and a half. Yeah, that was. Uh, I don't know. There were a lot. That was an interesting war. That was an interesting. Um, of course, the whole thing could have been avoided if PL didn't need the station to own the station to live in it. But yeah, yep. you, you know, I was living in BTAC R uh, in that station. That's where I had. That's where I would do my like off-duty mining and stuff. Because it was kind of. Oh, you were. You were. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, because we were living next door, practically three stops away, and at least uh -huh. was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were staging Idash in at the time. I was stuck in that system for the whole damn thing in a subcap. Oh, that's miserable. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Appreciate it. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna post this, uh, but I'll clean it up before I do. So. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll go for it. I don't mind. I think it's an amazing uh, history lesson on both sides. Um, but, yeah, I think we covered a lot of really interesting stuff. I just need to contextualize so. it so that when... When it starts, people who have no clue what this is about are like, what? You know, but. Uh, yeah. I think so. Uh, and, you know, as I said during the discussion, I'm more than happy to find out that there's things I didn't know about because clearly if there aren't, then holy crap. Um, but, you know, learning new stuff is always fun. So finding out I'm wrong about something because my information isn't complete. I'm always happy yeah. about that. Well, hey, I um, I, I love, I love, I don't know, I don't mind admitting I'm wrong either. I, I am, I had what I thought was a pretty good understanding on a couple of these battles. I'll have to go look back into. It. I wouldn't be surprised if I'm very wrong because, especially, uh, it, it's been a while since I've read about the Battle of Jutland, but it is one of my favorite naval battles. Well, I gained a ton of respect for both of you. First, uh, for yeah. naval. Uh, stuff from Arendus and uh, and then you know of course actually I already have a bunch of respect for Proguy with all the I was, I was going to say that that you that you, you've got some room to to really put your foot in your mouth there Matt <laughs> <laughs> I gained a ton of respect for both of you because you know before this oh, you guys <laughs> <laughs> no Proguy knows I'm a big fan of his he's uh, he's uh, uh, for me it's like doesn't matter how much you know. Doesn't matter where you've been. All that stuff account it amounts to things. But to me, uh, as an FC, it's kind of your. It's almost like your cadence. It's your rhythm. 
uh, and uh, I, I think ProGuard has an amazing, very relaxed way of, and it must be his accent or his word choices or something. You know, I don't actually think I sound that Southern. I don't, I don't think you're Southern. I you just said Louisianan accent is different than Southern, I think, or something. I don't know. You don't often sound Southern, but when you do, it it's comes noticeable. out. Yeah, no, I know that. I know that. Well, it's hard not to. I've lived here my whole life. Yeah. I don't actually like the Southern accent, but you, I'm not saying you have Well, a there, there's a there's a Southern accent in there, and there's what you see in the movies, you know. Well, there's a Texan accent, I guess. But the, yeah. But your cadence uh, or your rhythm or the way that you talk is very uh, – it's got a, it's it's just very uh, charismatic. Well, I appreciate that. You, you have the advantage, and this is something that, without getting too stereotypical, this is something the South has the advantage in. Um, when speaking, it's always better you come across as more – knowledgeable and more together and more focused if you maintain a relatively slower pace because you know when you come across a little bit too quick then everything's rushed and people don't understand what you're saying and and the north and especially the northeast has a tendency to do that and that's why like right now i'm consciously slowing down my words yeah it's um I, I I noticed I have uh, half my family lives in uh, Connecticut and Pennsylvania, um, so I, I've always noticed that difference. It's just I don't know. I, I mean, there are definitely some people that talk fast down here. It's just not the general. It's it's not the general culture. It's weird. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys. I got to run to work. Yeah, I'm gonna go do some shit. I'll catch you guys later. Yeah, it was nice talking to you, Ernest. It was fun. Nice talking to you too, bro. Hopefully we won't uh, always be doing this over. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. Yeah, well, I don't mind debating. But yeah. No, yeah, debating. Debating's always fine, but you know, actually yeah. talking with people as opposed to just well, right, coming, just coming into... together at points of conflict. Something you said for that too. I should have just put yeah. you guys on the show. I thought like, well, you know, what'll happen? It'll it'll be a flare up for about 15 minutes, and then it's kind of like, now what? And that was I like, tried to tell you, but that's just like that. That was definitely enough for an entire hour. Clearly, you know, to go into we went into different subjects, but should should have done that. Well, yeah. Well, well, last 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 time Pro God was on, you didn't have a webcam, did you? No, I don't. I'm actually considering right. getting into streaming. I'm about to purchase one. Right. Hey, and I don't have a webcam, so basically, not at all. You could just like overlay the whole thing with just talking <laughs> and <sock> puppets. <laughs> yeah. There you go. No, that is true. Honestly, and if you didn't tell people it wasn't live, they probably wouldn't even know. Did just you're tell right. them that you're having webcam problems and just <laughs> let it roll. And ignore the chat. Oh man. Oh god, we can we can help you with um, streaming if you want to do it. Yeah, there's um, I don't know. I keep thinking back to that time Scion had me stream for you guys, and there was a ton of people watching, and that was the first time I ever did it, and I didn't have a webcam or anything. And I've got this standing, sitting desk now that goes between standing and sitting, and I kind of want to stream because standing, standing and playing video games is so much fun, especially with someone like me who likes to get worked up and shit. Oh, and you start getting the body English into it and all. <laughs> oh, dude, I love it. I was telling the test people the other day, like I was in one of my fleets, and I was like, oh, I, I really get my whole body into raging at you guys. I can really uh. get my legs into it, like. <laughs> It's like doing squats. I, I <laughs> yeah. so see that I 
uh, as, as someone who used to spend way too many hours in the arcade, uh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, let me know if you want help because I do a bunch of artwork for it. Um, and do art really? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and also like you know we're I don't know. Well, to my knowledge, the only thing I need right now to go from like at least zero to starting is I have obviously a gaming PC and a headset. I need a webcam. I, I guess I, I, I've been told by people you don't need a webcam, but I don't know. It seems like the standard these days. You want to have the webcam yeah, just so people important. can yeah. identify with you. I don't yeah, like definitely. Being a camera, but it makes a huge difference. Apparently, people yeah. connect to you. Yeah, I've seen that as well. I mean, it seems like every time I look at a decent streaming channel with someone who actually has a following, they have a webcam. So you can put up a little avatar at first. You know, just cut him out. I'll even make it for you. Put him at the bottom. And... No, I no, mean, get... I kind of just want to get the webcam now, especially because if I'm ever going to go on like talking at stations again, I kind of want to be able to do that as well. Yeah, yeah, you should. Um, Besides, recommend... if you're going to do an avatar like that, you you want to have both do the drawing. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I had Simek make me the little baby dino that's my no, form avatar. No. You get both to do like a crayon stick figure. It'll look oh, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be perfect. Don't do it. Yeah, well. That way nobody takes it seriously. You, you, <laughs> should, you should stream uh, for sure. Get a webcam for sure. I do recommend a green screen or a green sheet behind you because it makes kind of a difference. Oh, no, definitely. No, I'd do that. Yeah, well, the with the standing desk, I had this idea. I could do not only the green screen, but like the same colored turtleneck, and it'd just be my head. <laughs> <laughs> it'd just be my head, like running around. <laughs> be like, uh, I, I just had this much. idea of me getting pissed off in my head, going from right to left on the damn <laughs> freaking stream all over the place. Right. <laughs> awesome. That would be awesome. Your head floating around, screaming at people. Yeah. It's like Baron Munchausen, right? And, uh, Robin Williams' head flying around. <laughs> oh, no, we'll see. I'm going to go get some lunch, though. I I'll touch base with you on and getting some help with that. We have one streamer in test who was helping me as well, but yeah. he's kind of busy a lot. So, right. Just think, six months down the road, you can be like Laz, not playing you anymore. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Yeah. All right. Anyway, I'll right. talk to you later. See you later. Bye. Later. And so that's how the discussion went between Progod Legend and Arendus, two enemies on the battlefield. But by the end, both realized what we all realize eventually. We're all just players of EVE Online. Thanks for listening. And as a reminder, we have a Patreon to support this podcast at Patreon slash We'll see you Saturday for Talking in Stations. <laughs>